0: Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning seeking you. We pray that any frustrations or stresses from this week will be removed so as not to get in the way. Please speak your truth through Pastor Toby. Pray, Lord, that he will proclaim your word accurately, with clarity and with joy. Help him to be open to the leading of your spirit, and help us to receive your word with eagerness. Grant us discernment, and give us a hunger for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Today we're beginning a new series, Life Under Pressure. We're going to look at the Bible as a as a manual that's recorded almost every situation of pressure that anyone could ever find themselves in. The Bible is uh, God's record of pressure and preservation. It's it's a record of pressure and uh, perseverance. The Bible is a history of people who did well under pressure, who overcame the pressures of life, they overcame the challenges of their faith, And it's a book about the honest retelling and telling of people who did not do well under pressure, all kinds of pressure. It didn't take long for either. It didn't take long for uh, someone to do well under pressure. Imagine Adam, the pressure of naming all of the animals and remembering their names. Uh, Apparently, he did well under that task and pressure. But it didn't take long until he crumbled. He blinked when he met Satan in the garden and was pressured under uh, ungodly persuasion, I guess we could say. That took all of uh, two chapters in the Bible to get us to that story in Genesis 3. And then their son came under pressure related to his brother, Cain was pressured in how he dealt with Abel. That's Genesis 4. And then the world got bigger, and pressures increased. And people were learning how to deal with those pressures. Apparently, someone who did was named Enoch. Apparently, the world was not all walking with God, as Cain had proved. But Enoch walked with God. That's Genesis 5. Apparently, Noah did really well under his challenges of pressure. You know, the pressure of being a prophet, the pressure of building a boat in the desert for a hundred years saying the rain's coming. There was a lot of pressure. He did well. And then much later, David's life was full of pressures. He had the pressure of dealing with fear and overcoming huge enemies. He had the pressure of overcoming a lion and a bear, and then a giant, and then a king who was trying to kill him. He overcame, and then he, and then he caved. And he fell under the pressure of a woman that caught his eye, who was not his bride. But ultimately, uh, he got it together and became a man after God's own heart because he was someone who loved God ultimately, and he was someone who learned how to be quick to repent. And he had zeal for God's house. So ultimately, uh, we can look through the whole of the Old Testament and see it as a story, a series of stories about how people deal with all kinds of pressures that hit them. And the same thing as we travel into the New Testament and all the way to the end of the New Testament, pressure comes uh, to not only to individuals, but to churches. The pressure comes to go along just to get along. And that's what happened in Thyatira. And the people in Thyatira wanted to compromise. That was the pressure, to get along in the congregation with a lady named Jezebel. And she was, uh, well, the Bible calls her an adulteress. She was adulterating the Word of God. And so God says, so you want to get in bed? with this adulteress? Fine, I'll throw you in bed. I'll throw you onto a bed of suffering. And that's what we get in Revelation chapter 2. Anyway, at this point celebration, we'd like to look at the Bible for a season. Not sure how long it's going to last. Could last, I mean, really, frankly, it could last as long as this book. We're going to look It's going to be an epic series where we look at all kinds of life situations in the Bible that God gives us where people dealt well and dealt poorly with the pressures that they faced, whether they were internal or external, personal or social, physical or spiritual. All these kinds of pressures and we can look at them and we can learn how to think more clearly how to act, what to do, what to say, all kinds of things can be of help. We can learn from God's Word. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. We have some unique challenges, each of us, but God, I think the Bible has given us the tools to meet every one of them. Take an example just from the world. Captain Sullenberger, you know, U.S. Airways flight 1549, LaGuardia uh, in New York to Charlotte. There's a bird strike. You know, he flies into some Canadian geese. So what does he do? What do you do? What, what manual does the guy grab? We have a pilot in here today. What manual do you grab when you have that kind of thing? You open it up. You look for the page. Uh, instruction. How to land an airbus. A320-214 in the Hudson. Three minutes after takeoff. And keep 155 people on board safe. How to get them all out on the wings till the boat comes. What chapter do you look under for that? What to do? Uh let see. Maybe it's under goose in engine. Sully said... All my preparation in all these various scenarios helped me to land that plane. Just the pitch just so, maybe the flaps just so, or whatever, and the wheels just so, I zoom up, but that's how he managed. He had prepared. He had all these situations in his mind that helped him face a unique one and do it well. And I, I think that's what I'm hoping this series will do for us, that whatever stuff flies into our engines that we'll be able to make safe landings here and there, because that's kind of what staying alive is all about. Anyway, this morning, we have to remember that faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, Paul says in Romans 10. So let's start in the New Testament, shall we? And then work backwards, like we love to do. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 9 to 11. Paul says this, we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So listen again, just to verse 11. These things happened to them long ago as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So you see, God arranged the events and then he arranged that they would be written down. He did both of those things. And for the benefit of the Corinthians and by extension, for the benefit of all of the people of God, things written down for them to learn th- from and for us as well. So anyway, in the opening of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul mentions several stories that probably don't ring a bell with us. It's part of Israel's history and they can just say a little thing and, oh yeah, that I, I can relate to that. I know exactly what he's talking about. And so he just says this, uh, we should not test the Lord as some of them did. And we're Killed by snakes. How many of you know that he's referring to one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament? Oh yeah, the old killed by snake story. Sure, my my parents told that to me in in the crib. We we need a little remedial refreshing on this snake story, and and I think that that's what we're going to do. We we need to do it. It's it's the same in any culture. You know, if you meet someone from maybe another country, when you befriend them and you're describing something in your life and said, I mean, tell you, I mean, 9-11 hit my house. It's like, what do you mean 9-11? You mean like dialing 9-1-1? No, I mean my whole life crumbled. Oh, what? Oh, I didn't know that expression. Well, we do. So it's sort of like that with the snakes. Anyway, what's the background of 1 Corinthians 10? Well, it goes all the way back to a boring-sounding book which isn't boring, the book of Numbers. So we'll, we'll just look at one of those stories. Paul is referring to a couple in our text, but let's just look at one of the stories as background, and let's take a little history lesson. He's talking about a time when Moses was kicking up dust, not pushing up daisies, pushing, kicking up dust in the, in the desert. And it was a good time to be alive. It was a great time to be a man I was thinking this morning. I mean, you didn't have to suffer through any razor blade commercials or just realize that oh, I only have 3 blades on mine instead of 4. It was a great time to be a man. You could just grow it out. No worries. It was you didn't even need to shower, I don't think. It was it was a great time to be a woman too because they've been walking around for 40 years And their shoes never wore out. So it was a great time to be married. It was an extraordinary time in Israel's history and an exciting time to be alive. And so what happens is, uh, at this point in the story, uh, they come up to this city. They've been wandering around. They come up to this city called Kadesh. And they're right at the border to this country that they want to go in. It's an exciting time. And God says, no, you're not going to go in there. Everything looked right. Everything looked perfect to go into this country that they had been waiting to come into. It was like the Autobahn was right in front of them. Everything looked clear sailing. They were ready to roll. And God said, uh-uh. I don't, I don't want you to come in here. I want you to go south and around and come in this way through a city named Jericho. I want you to walk 500 more miles you thought boot camp was over it's not over it was a crushing disappointment for the people that's not what they wanted to hear they were ready to go in right now they were poised to go in and do something big for god finally and god said i'm not ready yet i'm not ready god's not ready And so what did the people do? They spoke against their leader, Moses. It said they grumbled against him. They wanted to get out of their tents. The women were longing for new shoes, I'm thinking. And everything was just... They were longing for fruit in this promised land. They had been living on the same stuff every day. And so what does God do when they grumble... When they want to go and God says, no, what did God do? He had a severe punishment. He sends an army of snakes to bite them and kill them by the thousands. God does this. Why? This was not the first time that Israel had been at this spot. They had been at this same spot 40 years earlier. It was a time when they sent in all these spies to look at the land. Remember, they sent in 12 spies and 10 came out with their report and two came out with another report. God sent them out to find out how good the land was and they came back and said, sure enough, it's great, but we don't want to go. It's too dangerous in there. So that was the first time they were poised at this very place called Kadesh. What God wanted to do was he wanted to send them into the land, have a look-see, just to reconnoiter and say, wow, this place is fantastic. This place is flowing with milk and honey, just like God said. It's supposed to whet their appetites, to fortify them for the battle. You know, they were going to have all kinds of things that they hadn't enjoyed for centuries, really. I mean, uh, it was the land dripping with milk and honey. Uh, But they they wanted to go back to the place of leeks and onions in Egypt. They didn't want to have the good stuff that was growing in uh, this new land. God thought if they tasted the grapes, they'd say, Man, grapes? We've never had any grapes in Egypt or pomegranates or figs. These are the produce that Canaan had that was so special. I mean, it it was so special they had one branch of, of grapes that came out on a stick. It took two guys to carry this bunch of grapes. But God was asking the people, is this new country that I'm giving you worth fighting for? Does it flow with milk and honey, just like I said? And they said, yeah, it does flow with milk and honey. It's fantastic. But you see, uh, Lord, there's a problem. Um, We look like grasshoppers to them. I mean, yeah, Lord, uh, people, we had longer beards. But they had longer legs and longer arms and longer swords. And and we're screwed. We, We can't go in there. And that's what 10 out of the 12 people said. Two guys looked at the same information, which was the minority report. They looked at it with faith, the same data, and came up with a completely different answer. They said, yep, it's flowing with milk and honey. There's lots of people in there. In fact, they're giants. And by my reckoning, uh, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Uh, We're ready. Let's go. Well, there was a big talk about it, and it was too hard to go. Even though Joshua and Caleb said, hey, their protection is gone. They're sitting ducks. Numbers 14, verse 9 says, do not be afraid and rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, these two guys said, because we'll swallow them up. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Our lives are just like this, aren't they? Hudson Taylor said this, unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. What did you expect? It's The same for you in your life. The way ahead better look hard or else there's no need for faith. John Haggai said this, Attempt something so great for God that it's doomed to failure unless God be in it. That's the kind of obedience that God wants. That's the attitude he wants when we see pressure, this kind of pressure. But they grumbled against Moses in the assembly, and they said this, in Numbers 14, verse 3, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And with that kind of reasoning, it says God was furious. This is one of the few times in the Bible where God appears, and he doesn't appear as a really nice guy. He doesn't appear as light to lead them in the the night. He doesn't appear as a cloud to lead them in the day. He doesn't appear as an angel giving them instructions on what to do. He doesn't appear that way at all. He doesn't come and explain a dream and then leave through an angel. No, he comes in judgment. And he comes to condemn these people. He punishes them with a punishment that's fit the crime. And it's so interesting to me. They were afraid of losing their kiddos, right? They were afraid of their children being taken as plunder. That's verse uh, 3 of chapter 14 of Numbers. And God says, well, you're so worried about your kids, so am I. So I'm going to save your kids. That's the good news. The bad news is you, parents, are going to die punishment fit the crime. For every one of those 40 days that you were checking out this beautiful place that I had for you to move to, I'm going to make it one year of remedial study, wandering in the wilderness. You'll have a long time to think about it. Every one of those 40 days, you'll get one year. So in Numbers 14, 20, the Lord replied, I've forgiven them. As, uh, nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I perform in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one has treated me with contempt will ever see it. He says, they tested me ten times. Each minority report, or majority report, was counted as a testing of God. And so for each of those testing, he times it uh, by four. Forty years of reform. To teach them one lesson and how to live under life's pressures. And that is to live by faith and not by sight did it work so, so you remember the story they're up there and then they blow it and then God gives them 40 years to rethink it and to get right the lesson on how to live under life's pressure one of them to live by faith and not by sight well 40 years later they come back to the exact same spot all the parents are dead these are the kids sitting there And they're at the same spot where Ma and Pa blew it. And so what do you suppose they want to do? Ah, this is the same spot that our parents screwed up. This time, we're going in. And that time, God said, no, you're not. The first time, God said, go in, and they didn't want to. This time, they want to go in, and God says, No! God's timing matters. It matters. One answer today may be a different answer tomorrow with God. You've got to pay attention to what God is saying. He doesn't change, but sometimes His directives do change, and they were not listening to Him. They still weren't getting it right. God did not want them to go into that spot. Remember? They didn't want Him to go in here He wanted them to go down, around, and in from this way. He wanted them to come in from the other side of the country. And so what did they do? They tested God. That's the way Paul puts it. That's the way Moses puts it. They caved under the pressure to test God. What is it exactly to test God? Testing God is whenever you think you have a better plan than the plan that the sovereign creator of heaven and earth has given you for your life. The pressure to test God is this. Whenever you think that you are smarter than God, God sees that as testing him. We think we know, when we think we know how to better run our life than God, when we can update this manual in ways that suit ourselves, or when we have clear direction from God himself somehow, and say, now I know know that's what you want me to do, Lord, but I'm not going to do that. I've heard that many times. I know a guy who said, I know that's not what the Lord wants me to do with my wife, but I'm going to do it anyway. Unless he comes down and talks to me personally and hits me, I'm not going to do it. Whenever you think you're smarter than God, whenever you know what he wants and you grumble about it and don't do it, or do it and grumble about it, you're testing God. See, what Israel wanted to do made sense to them, perfect sense to them. It, why was the plan for my parents... Not good for me. Why, why did it work last time, and this time it's different? They want to sink into their comfy couch where they don't have to make change. They want to just rely on the past to decide that that's where God wants them to go. They, they want to rely on method rather than the God who gives method. They love the plan instead of the planner. They, they idolize what used to be done, and that's what they were doing. I love the way it was. It was that way with Israel when they built the new temple. The old one had been destroyed. And when they looked at the new temple, it was so much smaller than the old one. And it says the old folks wept. And that's where, from our sermon last week from Brian, he quoted Zechariah 4.10. Who despises the day of small things? God is saying, don't despise it. So let's just make a direct application. From that to us. What if God asks us to move into a smaller space? What if God asks us to move into a smaller space in Fredericksburg, really close to 95, but it's smaller? There will be some people, if he says that, and he may, say, man, I remember that old place. I used to have a whole pew to myself. It was like the dream flight overseas. It's easy to slip into this kind of grumbling. Well, anyway, at Kadesh, Israel's problem was that they complained that they had a better plan than God did for them. They complained against His providence. And so let's go back to Numbers, chapter 21. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses. And said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. I mean, can you imagine? God, the ingratitude. God has been feeding them with the bread of heaven. And they don't like the meal. That's what it's called in Psalm 78, the bread of heaven. So what is God going to do about it? He's just sent him on 40 years of remedial boot camp summer school to learn how to trust him so and to learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. Is he going to do it again? No, he doesn't do it this time. That was yesterday. This is today. God's new plan is this. He sends venomous snakes this time, a much more serious punishment. The stakes are higher. It's vital to have hard discipline, apparently, for God at this point. So they send a plague. God sends a plague of snakes into the desert, probably carpet vipers. Listen to what Israel said, the immediate context. Numbers 21, they longed for Egypt. Why have you sent us out here? We'd rather go back to Egypt. So what does God do? You want Egypt? I'll give you Egypt. Here you go. Remember the emblem of Egypt was a cobra? Hey, it's a snake. You want to go back to snakes? Here it is. The God who protects all of Egypt, the cobra goddess, here it is. You know, Pharaoh always had this cobra in a striking pose or two on his uh, tennis headband there, whatever it's called. They call it a ureus, I think. It was a symbol of the invisible serpent God who protected Egypt. And Pharaoh's cobras would strike enemies and kill people and terrifying with a single blow in their battles. So here is God punishing Israel with a punishment fit the crime. If only we had died in Egypt, they said. And God said, okay, I'll make it Egypt for you. You're so nostalgic about it. Here you go. I'll deliver the cobras for you. Remember God's first sign to Moses was a stick thrown down that became a snake. And Aaron threw down his staff and it ate all the snakes of the Egyptian wise men. The real power, you see, is not that thing on Pharaoh's uh, Ureus thing. The real power is the God of creation the God of heaven and earth. Who knows the power of your anger? We just heard this morning from Psalm 90, verse 11. And Jesus said this, Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, not Pharaoh, not anyone, and after that can do no more, but fear him who after killing the body can throw you into hell. That's the bad news before the good news one of my favorite professors talking about this, said, we're all dead men walking. We all have this poison, this poison of sin coursing through our veins. We get it at birth, and it's there, and we're all on the same road. We're all walking the same path. And the end of the road is death. We all need an antivenom. In Moses' day, the antivenom was to look up to this pole. What they did was, yeah, you got the venom. Yeah, you got bit. You're going to die, and you're going to die quick. So look up at this pole, and you'll be healed. And that's exactly what happened. So the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole, and anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Our Lord and Savior Jesus himself said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. In the Old Testament, what was lifted up, that saved, was that snake on a pole. It's a weird imagery, but it sets us up for the New Testament. Not a bronze serpent, but a golden Lord Jesus, radiant. And all of us need to look to him. Because if we don't, we're all dead men, dead women, walking. I'm quite sure that everyone here has looked up to him. If you haven't, you need to. Really. You need to see to it that you do everything you can to those you love, that they will look up to Jesus. Look to him today. Call on him for your salvation. So, the Bible is full of examples of pressure. And one of the major pressures of life that we need to learn about and to conquer is this. The pressure, the temptation to test God. You test God when you think that you are smarter than God. I had a friend I was a kid, and he was grown up. Friends of my family, he would stay at our house, and he was a minister, and a powerful minister. It was like he was surrounded by angels when he preached. Clearly had the call of God on his life. God made that clear to him. For some reason, he didn't like the wages of being in the ministry. He decided there's more money to be made in selling real estate in Hawaii than in leading people to the Lord. And so he went to Hawaii. He didn't get bit by a snake. And I don't know this is true because God hasn't told me directly, but I wonder. I wonder about a guy that was so anointed that I saw an angel in the room when he was preaching that decided to leave the gospel, his calling, sell real estate, and the age of 40 dies of a cold. And so what I'm hoping in the days to come is that we'll be able to look at this book and, yeah, there's not a a chapter in there called Goose in the Engine." But I think, I think there's enough in here to see us through any kind of pressure that we can ever run into, whether it's social or internal or physical or spiritual, that we can draw from the lessons that these saints, even that we can learn a simple lesson that when God says go, we go, "Mm, I better go today. Because tomorrow might not be good. Or when God says stay, you stay. When God says rest, you rest. When God says move, you move. We live by faith and not by sight. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And I don't know how anyone can discern how to navigate the pressures of life on God's terms without spending some serious time In this book. And by the way, only one person that we know of for sure lived perfectly under the pressures that came. And that's Jesus Christ. I think that's something great to celebrate. Amen? Under the pressure of the day, I neglected to ask someone to lead in the prayers of the people. Does anyone feel... Holy Spirit upon them. Micah?
0: Oh God, thank you that we can be here today to worship you. And Lord, please be with those who couldn't be here today or who have left our church to move or are or are going to. And please be with them and help them with their needs that you know everyone of glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our Heavenly Father, for this day you've given us and this young man, this is a special young man, And we pray for your hand upon his life that you would protect it, number one. We pray, number two, that you would nourish the spirit that you have put in him. Nourish that spirit for the purposes that even now you have in mind for his life. For we all know that very early on you do that. So, secondly, we do pray your nourishing of that Holy Spirit in his life. And we pray, third, that you would be with him as he goes in these days ahead to use him for the purposes even at this young age you have in mind. That he would follow your will upon his life, always, And that mostly, lastly, and not least of all, we pray that others would come to know Jesus through his life and his witness and his love for thee. And that's more than any of us could ever ask. And so all those things we ask for Micah. And thank you for him. Amen.